time to the book of Matthew. We have been going through the book of Matthew, and we come now to Matthew 5. Uh, This morning we'll be in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 6. Today we are starting the Sermon on the Mount, and we will start looking at the Beatitudes, which I'm sure you are all to some degree familiar with. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We all, each of us, spend a lot of our life trying to be a certain thing. We want people to like us. We want to fit in. We want to be popular, right? I I always remember that book. I've never read it, but it's entitled How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's our goal, to win friends and to influence people. And there are many different qualities that we look for in people, that we desire in ourselves. We like people who are agreeable, who are energetic, who are funny, who are intelligent, who are sensitive, who are wise. I've assumed, as this is the Sunday that I came here last year, that this is why you hired me, because I am all of these things. I will take your laughing as agreement. (laughs) (laughs) or perhaps we look for the classic greek virtues courage temperaments justice and endurance very rarely do we say we want people who are poor in spirit these first three beatitudes describe a person who is weak who is needy rather than one who is strong. Last week we saw the miracles of Jesus. He started performing miracles. He started calling disciples to himself. But his healing brought in great crowds. But they came, many of them, just for what he could do for them. Jesus wanted disciples. So he began to teach he said, if you want to be a disciple in essence, this is what it looks like. So as we come to this text, there's three points I want us to see. First, I want to see the meaning of blessedness. What does it mean to be blessed? Second, I want us to see the neediness of blessedness. And finally, we'll see the righteousness of blessedness. The meaning of blessedness, the neediness of of blessedness, and then finally the righteousness of blessedness. Let's start by looking at the meaning of blessedness. What does it mean to be blessed? Each of these lines here begins with, blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. This word can mean happy or free. But this is not ordinarily what we think of happiness. 
We don't think of happiness as coming from being poor in spirit. We don't think of happiness as coming from mourning or from being meek. More often than not, we think of happiness that comes through food. My wife made a cake yesterday that made me very happy. We think of entertainment. We go see a movie and we are happy. Maybe we are, like working on cars or fishing or golfing or shopping. All these different kind of things can make us happy. We all pursue happiness in some way. However, we'll see here that this is not the way that Jesus thinks of happiness. Jesus teaches us that happiness comes from a mature character. Finding pleasure in all these other kind of things is fleeting. Food will go away. Entertainment, entertainment will go away. Or they can be taken from us. But Jesus tells us, this is what you need to, pers- to have a happy life. This is what the pursuit of a happy or blessed life looks like. And he starts with the first three Beatitudes, which describe weakness and neediness. As we look at these, we must see that the Beatitudes are trying to tell us what it means to be a whole person. This is what it means, in essence, to be a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus came, or, and even before him, John the Baptist came, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And now Jesus comes to us and says, Okay, you want to be a disciple in my kingdom. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. But even more than that, it tells us how to portray the heart of our king. Our king is Jesus. As we come into the kingdom, the goal is to be more like our master. And as we look at all of these beatitudes, we can see that Jesus took them on. Even as we could go further into 8, 9, and 10, and 11. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, when he saw the people, mourned for them because he saw that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Blessed, Blessed are the meek. Jesus indeed was meek and humble. He laid a gentle and easy yoke upon his people. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus, we have already seen, had compassion on the sick, on the needy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus was so pure, no one could give a legitimate charge against him. Blessed are the peacemaker, peacemakers. Jesus offers ultimate peace freely to us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And we know Jesus was persecuted for being righteous, even to the point of death. And oddly, or not so oddly maybe, we see that the only one Jesus did not take on himself was poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to know one's spiritual Emptiness, spiritual neediness. Jesus was not poor in spirit the way we are. There has always been a gap between the creator and the creature. But Jesus does not share this gap with us. Jesus is the one who steps in and bridges this gap for us. 
He reaches out to the poor in spirit. He reaches out to the sick and needy, and he heals them. It is God's design, then, that in our poverty of spirit, in our neediness, that we should aspire to a character that is like the character of our king. By grace, God sent his son. By grace, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. By grace, the father raised Jesus from the tomb. And by grace, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to testify about him. And by grace, God completes this work by changing our hearts. And because of this, we are to conform to his image. We are to be like him. We will now look at the first three Beatitudes, and they show to us our spiritual neediness. And then we will look at the fourth one, which states God's promise to those who meet, or excuse me, that states God's promise to meet those needs. And then next week we'll look at the last uh, three, which describe the result of being righteous. So let's Start now by looking at the neediness of blessedness. The neediness of a happy life. He begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But we have to first ask this question, who are the poor in spirit? It is not those who are just poor in personality. God does not favor the shy. He does not favor the nervous or the cowardly. That's not what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means that you have a knowledge of your sin. A disciple of Jesus must know their own inability to reform themselves. They must know that they need God's grace and mercy. And this tends to be the opposite of what we as a world, as a country, as a people desire. We tend to admire the self-made businessman. We tend to admire those who refuse help and seek to do it on their own. We tend to admire those who say, I will pull myself up by my bootstraps and raise myself up beyond what what I am. But to be a disciple of Christ... We are to lay our pride aside. Our strengths, even as they are, are nothing in the Lord's sight. Even the best of us, the richest of us, the most what we would consider uh, unneedy people are in desperate need of the grace of the Lord. Membership in the kingdom The kingdom which Jesus came to proclaim is not won, is not earned by strength. It is a gift only of the Lord, and it is given by grace freely. We, as a people, are to be poor in spirit. We are to know that we are sinful. We are to know that we are in desperate need of the grace of God. And this is something that is not lip service. I think it's easy to say that we're needy, to say that we need Jesus. And yet, I think we're all at times guilty of saying that we are 
medium, guilty of saying that we need Jesus, but then acting as if we can do it ourselves. Well, you just need to buck up. You just need to pull pull yourself together and just do it. But this is not what he teaches us. It is to understand that we cannot do it, that we cannot help ourselves, that we need a Savior. So blessed are the poor in spirit. But next he says, blessed are those who mourn. The first beatitude leads to the second, and we'll see that they all kind of build on top of each other. Jesus blesses those who mourn over their neediness over their poorness in spirit, over their sin. How can those who mourn be happy? This seems as opposites, doesn't it? And Jesus, we will see, does not bless all mourning. He does not bless the criminal who is mourning the fact that they were caught. Or he does not bless the corrupt who mourn over their loss of power. Jesus does not bless all mourning, but there is a godly mourning for sin, sorrow or mourning that leads to repentance, and repentance that leads to salvation. Mourning over the world, sorrow over the world will only bring death, but coming and mourning over our own sense of poverty of spirit brings repentance, brings salvation, and ultimately brings life. Christ comes and says, I will bless those who mourn over their sin. I will bless those who mourn over the sin of their brothers in the church. I will bless those who mourn over the sin that pervades society. I will bless those who mourn and those who have an indifferent attitude to the gospel. Mourning over sin in ourselves, in the world around us, leads to repentance. David in Psalm 119, verse 136, says this, My eyes said, shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. David looked at the world around him. He saw that the law was not being kept, and his eyes shed tears Streams of tears. This kind of heartfelt mourning leads to repentance. We too are to have a deep understanding of our sin. And we are to mourn over it. We are to understand that sin has created a problem. It has created a gap between us and our creator. And we are to turn to Christ, the one who bridges that gap for our strength. Brothers and sisters, do you mourn over your sin? And I'm not talking about a a feeling of, I hate what the result of my sin is. I hate that I'm having to deal with these problems. But a true, heartfelt mourning that you have offended the holy God of the universe. We are called to mourn. Over our sins. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And finally, blessed are the meek. Those who truly mourn over their sin. Those who truly understand their neediness. 
will be meek. The meek personality suffers indignities without complaint. Uh, the aim here is to please others while not asserting the self. For Jesus, meekness is not just, or meekness is a character trait. It's not just a disposition. It's part of who we are. It's the opposite of ambition and envy. It is a gentle, humble, unassuming approach of one who knows his spiritual poverty and lets it guide his behavior. But on the other side of that, the mark of meekness is not the absence of assertiveness. It is the absence of self-assertion. If we love the gospel, if we know our own poverty and sin, then we have no right to exalt ourselves. And this is something that I think is easily and freely admitted when we are privately tucked away in prayer. Or when we're thinking to ourselves. But it's not something that is easily admitted when we are in front of others. We do not like to show meekness. We do not like to show weakness. The meek are to come. They're not to ask for special treatment or demand special rights. The meek trust God to protect and provide as he has promised to do so. As we see these build on one another, having an accurate understanding of our sin and our need for Christ, we will mourn our sin. And as we mourn our sin, we will not place ourselves above others. We will come in meekness and approach his throne, knowing that we can only do so through our Savior. This is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, the person who wrote all these letters in the New Testament, who comes as uh, the voice of God, can say, I am the chief of sinners. He understood his heart. He understood his need. And so when he says he's the chief of sinner, he's not just coming and Say, oh yeah, I'm the chief of sinners, look at me, I'm being so humble, and in doing so, being arrogant. No, he comes genuinely saying, I am the chief of all sinners. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn their sin, come meekly to the throne. These first three beatitudes show us our neediness for God. But now I want us to look, finally, at the righteousness of blessedness. I want us to look at this fourth, this pivotal beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus comes and says, I will bless those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. And again, we're building on the other beatitudes if you know your spiritual sin, your spiritual poverty, and you mourn over it, and you are meek because of it, then you will come and you will hunger and you will thirst for righteousness. The language of hungering and of thirsting is not uncommon. In Scripture, Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. To hunger... To thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst 
even as you hunger and thirst for food. You do not deny yourself food or drink. You need to come hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As an animal, as a deer needs water, this is how our soul is to thirst for God. And I think there are many aspects to this hungriness, this hunger for righteousness. There is personal righteousness. This is the hunger that leads us to look at sin in ourselves and to uproot it and to become more like Jesus. The Bible, of course, calls this sanctification. But there is also an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. It's not something that is natural to us. This is the righteousness that Christ bestows upon us when we believe in him. The Bible calls this justification. This is the conferring of legal righteousness in God's courtroom. But third, there is social righteousness, a God-led cleansing of society. We are not to withdraw from this world to gather in what we could call a Christian ghetto, but no, we are to go into the world and be willing to engage in society, to promote God's cause in all areas of life, in business, in education, in politics, and art. While the disciples see the world as it is, they are also to anticipate something that is coming, that is greater, something that will be. We are to to be making the world like the world to come. So I ask you, do you hunger for righteousness? Do you hunger for righteousness? Being thirsty and hungry is not something that many of us deal with on a daily basis. If we want water, we turn on the tap. If we're hungry, we go to the fridge. But do you hunger for righteousness? Do you seek righteousness like you feed and water yourself daily as you need? This is what we're called to, to understand our spiritual poverty, to mourn over the separation we have with God, and to meekly approach his throne. To be hungry for this righteousness. Are you hungry? Or is righteousness just more of a snack? Eh, if, I'm, if I feel like it, every now and then. We are to be hungry. We are to be thirsty for the word of God. We have seen the meaning of blessedness, the neediness of blessedness, and the righteousness of blessedness. The pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of blessedness, is not something that I think we typically think about. It's not just about getting something for ourselves, about good things that we want. It's about coming and being poor in spirit, about mourning over our sin, about meekly coming before him. 
We are to pursue righteousness, knowing our need, even as we hunger and we thirst. I think this is a fitting passage this morning, even as we come to this table, as we come and as we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, we see the bread and the juice, the body and the blood of Christ, the very thing that purchased for us righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be complacent. We cannot be spiritually malnourished. We must come, we must feast upon the very word of God. This is my prayer. This is, this is what this passage is calling us to. May we be convicted not to be spiritually malnourished. Would we, would we come, would we feast upon him? Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have taught us what it means to be kingdom disciples, to be citizens of your kingdom. Lord, would you make us those who are poor in spirit, those who know our need of you, those who mourn over the separation from you, that you would cause us to come to you in all meekness, that you would make us as those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that it is only in you that we will indeed be satisfied. Would you make this true for us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.